0: Uh, If you're visiting with us, just really glad that you're here. I'm Mike, uh, lead pastor here of Church at Bergen. Just grateful that you're gathering with us. Uh, uh, During this month, we uh, love to just worship Jesus. So very simply, if you're wondering what this gathering is, why we're here, uh, why we're singing songs? Why we're going to sit under the preached word? Why we're going to give generously? It's because uh, Jesus gave most generously in Himself, and giving us His Son that paid our debt, that lived our life, that rose victorious over Satan's sin, and death, and uh, reconciles us to God by the finished work of His Son. And so we we just celebrate that. So we celebrate that by by singing songs that declare who He is and what He's done. We we do that by sitting under the preached word, which we believe saves sinners and sanctifies saints. We do that by uh, also giving. Uh, if you consider this your church home, you give, we give that little small black box in the back when you guys give online as well. And just, again, thank you for your generosity in helping move this mission forward. We praise God for what he's doing. We praise God for the transformed lives. We praise God for the redeeming of marriages and uh, the ways that he's rescuing, reworking, and renewing us made more into the image of his son. So uh, we're grateful for that. I just wanted, before we uh, dive into Luke 4, we've been walking through the, the gospel according to Luke. It's been a just an awesome study together as a family. Um, Luke is a writer who's basically writing to this guy, Theophilus, who is, uh, we believe, a Roman official who does not know Jesus. And so Luke is basically writing to him saying, hey, I want you to understand the life and teachings of Jesus. I want you to see him, but I don't want you just to know facts about him or no cute theologies. I want you to be transformed by it. And so we've been just staring at Jesus, staring at his life, staring at the ways that this just ramped up to his earthly ministry. We learned how in the Old Testament there were these longings, just longing for Jesus to come, this Messiah, this deliverer, the one who would break the silence of God and bring rescuing and bring deliverance, we learned that the people of Israel really want to kind of this guy, this Messiah, to be exalted. They wanted him to be king. They wanted him to fix me, heal me, make much of me. And we learned that that's not at all why Jesus came. He came not to rule with a sword. And in this age when he came, he came as a servant to be crushed by the Father for the sins of the world to reconcile us to himself in his grace and mercy. And so we're seeing all of that. And so um, here's what I want to do before we kind of launch in, is I feel like often we just, we gather, we gather, we gather, we sit, we sing, we pray, and And I don't know why, lately on my mind, I don't know if it's been on yours, just with the last number of months, just the global church, global leaders, global pastors, uh, I want us just collectively to pray as a family for them, uh, for churches, for men that are faithfully preaching the word this morning, uh, that they would uh, do it in a courageous way, in a loving way, in a gracious way. Uh, Pray for those who gather this morning in great fear. Uh, They don't have the privilege like we do just to walk in here, open our Bibles and read. Uh, They are actually uh, checking the doors and uh, wondering if today is their last, and uh, that's real life for them. Uh, so let's just, as a family, pray for them. Uh, you can pray out loud, you can pray quiet. Let's just take a few minutes just to consider those who are blood-bought brothers and sisters just like us uh, who are gathering. Pray for the churches here in this nation today as the word goes out that uh, the gospel will take root and save many. God, would you hear these prayers? God, we're needy people. God, our view is so limited by circumstance, by suffering from hurt, from experience. God, we daily doubt your faithfulness, your goodness. Forgive us, Father. God, may we see the gravity of the cross of Christ this morning. May we see the glory of what Jesus is, what he's done, how he lived. God, I know we come in here weekly heavy laden and burdened by a variety of things. God, I thank you that you took even our greatest anxieties and worries and nailed them to the cross. God, I thank you that you're now our treasure, that you're what we rejoice in, that that's where our worth is found, where hope is found, where refuge is found, where security is found, identity. God, may that be real for us today. Teach us from Luke 4 and 5. God, show us that there is a change of course and a cost when we follow you. But it's deeply worthwhile. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Luke, uh, Luke chapter 4, grab your Bibles if you have them, Luke chapter 4. We're going to be finish Luke chapter 4 and go to about verse 11 in chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. Always say, please take one if you don't know one. We'd love for you to have it. It's our gift to you. We uh, love the Scriptures. We love reading the Scriptures. We love centering under the Word of God. We believe that that is uh, the best thing for life and godliness and walking in newness of life and also understanding why uh, we exist and all that happens. And so here, let me, let me just catch up to speed. If you're, if you're uh, jumping in, we're hitting what's the Galilean ministry of Jesus. Now, this is actually gonna take Jesus about a year and a half. It's actually gonna to go to like chapter nine in Luke. So uh, this Galilean ministry is a, is a really long time and uh, Jesus has been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been healing. We've been kind of seeing these events unfold after his temptation in the wilderness. We saw him go and, and deliver the demon-possessed woman. We saw him heal uh, Peter's mother-in-law. So we're seeing all these kind of facets of Jesus' ministry happening and, and going on. And uh, here's what's important to know as you kind of uh, see this kind of unfold and unravel is historically the first century man, the first century woman, if, if they had a deformity, if they had illness, if they had disease, uh, people would always pin it on their sin. So you were in like the category of sinners. So they would say, okay, so who sinned? You or your parents? So that's why often you'll see the, the Pharisees and other religious oppressive people come up and say to people who had illnesses or who had deformities, kind of say, hey, so who sinned? Your, your parents or you? And Jesus comes, right? We learned two weeks ago when he gave his first sermon in the synagogue saying, hey, I'm, I actually came to deliver you from the oppression of the religious system, okay, so it's giving, spiritually speaking, you know, uh, life to the poor, sight to the blind, we're, we're freeing the captives, we're freeing the prisoner, this is all going to happen spiritually speaking, those who are held captive by not being able to keep the commands of God, who realize their inability, who realize they are desperately poor and needy for the saving work of Christ, hey, they get salvation, those are the people who, who Jesus saves, the humble in heart, the posture that's right before him, and so as all of this is happening, as Jesus is preaching, here's what we're going to continue to see, is you're going to see, is Jesus going to back up his claims? Okay, so what did he just preach two weeks ago? That he's going to do something. Right? He, he's saying to the religious leaders, hey, it's me. I'm this one who's going to provide for the poor, who's going to liberate the captives, who's going to free the prisoners, who's going to give sight to the spiritually blind, those that don't see the glory of Christ, those that don't, lo- don't love the glory of Christ, those who don't see their need for sin, I'm going to open their eyes, and they're going to see their desperate need and in repentance turn to me and find salvation, find deeper meaning, deeper life, fullness of life, all wrapped up in this gospel. And so it's amazing because we're going to see, hey, is Jesus going to do what he said he was going to do? Or is he going to cave to cultural conformity or the pressures of the day? Is he going to want to be king because they all want him to be king? They want to raise him up. They want him to be exalted. Is that going to happen? Or is Jesus going to stay faithful to his mission? Okay, that's what we want to see. Okay, so if Jesus does stay faithful, if he is faithful to his claims, we can trust him, right? And if he doesn't stay faithful to his claims, then we cannot and we shouldn't. So this is very important as you're seeing the life of Jesus unfolding, the, the ministry of his person and work. And so we're going to see if we can trust Jesus. And here's what we're going to start to see this morning is Jesus is going to start to invade your personal space. Okay, so all of a sudden, this kind of just nice, open, Jesus is, is preaching, teaching, healing. He's going to get personal. Right, all of a sudden he's going to kind of invade those dark spaces. He's going to get kind of in the inner workings of your heart. and He's going to start to call you out a little bit. He's going to tar- start to expose you. This is, this is what we're going to see is Jesus begins to get really personal. He's going to grab three guys to join him. Things are going to intensify a little bit. Things are going to get real. So this is where it gets exciting for us, right? Some of you are like, no. Yeah, this is where it gets exciting and life-giving. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up at verse 42 of chapter 4. Last week we saw Jesus declare authority over the demonic, authority over illness, and that's what's, that's what's awesome when you see evil and you see the demonic. You know, they're like the only ones who consistently get that he's God. Like, evil never argues with his deity, okay? It's always like the religious people, other people, but man, when, when evil enters that space, like, they're always like, yep, he's the son of God. He is all that he says he is, right? They, they never doubt that claim. We learned that that's because they know who he is, so all they can do is distract or cause doubt or, just, or change your, your view from who Jesus is. We saw his authority over illness. And we see Jesus doing all he would say he would do. Pick up in verse 42. Here's what happens. It says this, And when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and he would have, and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Okay, so here's what's basically going on. Jesus' itinerant ministry is growing. So he's becoming a bit of a rock star. So people kind of like what he has to say. People are listening to him. People can hear him, okay? So they're not sure if they want it, but they want him to set up shop in Capernaum. They're going, hey, stay here. Hey, we got, we got lots of people with diseases. You want to keep healing them? Hey, we got lots of people that are demon-possessed. You want to do that? What does Jesus do? Jesus makes a claim on his mission and why he's here. Jesus makes it explicitly clear. Why did he come? To preach. The kingdom of God. To preach the good news of the gospel. And so everyone around him is beginning to want Jesus. They want him to stay in the area. But listen, they don't want him as master. They want him as slave. They want him as their, bu- their busboy. Fix me, make much of me, heal all these illnesses, change my circumstances, make me secure, be our king, deliver us from the oppression of the Roman government, and then everything will be okay. And Jesus shows that's not, that's not why I came. I actually came to be a slave I actually came to be crushed by the Father for the sins of the world. That's my mission. And so he clearly demonstrates that he knows exactly why he came. And so as Jesus comes out of this silence and solitude, this is like day-long sabbatical, everyone's saying, okay, Jesus, here's your job description. Here's what we want you to do. All right? We do that all the time. Okay, great, I got Jesus now. You're Okay, here's what I want you to do for me. Change this job, rework this thing. Marriage better, kids, give me a taser. It's like you just, I don't know, it's like you've got all these things that you just want fixed immediately, so, so God's at your bidding. So he's your little busboy, he's your slave, so hey, do this, do this, fix this, make much of me. Jesus shown that's not at all why I came, right? This, this, this heart follows us to this day. The same as these people, and you see everybody wanting him to stay, everybody wanting him to do what he, what they want him to do, and that wasn't his mission, and they weren't bad things, And Jesus is going to say, hey, I'm going to do those things along the way. I'm going to heal more people. I'm going to deliver more demons. That's not primarily why I came. I primarily came, what, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Why? Healing someone externally doesn't graft you into the fold. Like you're not one of God's because you get healed externally. You're not one of God's because the demon gets delivered from you, right? Knowing the truth, knowing the gospel is what brings you into the family of God. Right, so he's going, okay, that's, that's priority for me, is preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. So yeah, I'm going to sprinkle in healing, sprinkle in you know delivering demons. I'm going to pray over people. I'm going to love people. But my primary ministry is the preaching ministry. Right? I said two weeks ago, this is why when you see these, uh, we're word-driven as one of our identities. Because we believe the word drives all that we do. That The preaching ministry of the church is primarily what God will always use to transform hearts. And so we see Jesus agreeing with that, doing that. It's amazing we see him going and, and, and getting on his mission. So Jesus clarifies his call. He's saying, man, i got to go tell people about the truth. i got to tell people about the grace of God. i got to tell people about judgment that's coming. i got to tell people about the mercy of God and the kindness of God and the wrath of God and the justice of God and the fullness of God. I just got to get this news out. And we see, let's keep going. Chapter 5, verse 1 says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. See, they're still wanting to hear him. He was staying by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay, so Jesus now leaves his hometown, he's preaching, teaching, he's doing his ministry, he's going about his way, right, it's continuing to grow, everyone wants to hear him, he's by this lake of Gennesaret, that's just the the Sea of Galilee, okay, just depending on what shoreline you live, so if you look at the Sea of Galilee, depending on what side of the sea you actually landed on, what, what side the shore was, you would call it a different name, okay, that's what they did, so this is still the Sea of Galilee, and he's preaching, because that's his primary ministry, and he's casting out demons, and all of these other things, and the only thing that brings him to this place is preaching the kingdom of God. And the crowds are so massive. Some people estimate five to 10,000 people. They're so big, they're pressing around him. You, you gotta picture this. So Jesus is like, hey, I gotta preach. I need some space, right? I need like natural amplification to kind of come out here so everybody can hear me. So he sees Peter, James, and John, right? They've docked. They're, they're finished their day's work. They really worked through the night. We'll talk about that in a minute. They were fishing all night long. They get up and they're, they're bringing their nets in. They're washing their nets. They're doing all this. And Jesus goes, just steps in one of the boats and looks at Simon, who's Peter. It's his boat and goes, hey, push me out a little bit. I wanna preach from your boat. I mean, can, like, do you, do you, are, you think, are you seeing how crazy this is, like, this scenario? I mean, imagine, you're wicked tired, you're dead, you're beat down, you've worked your whole day's work, Jesus shows up, hey, I need to borrow your car, just let me stand on top and preach to all these people, like, like get all these people away from me, like, we just docked in, you're bringing thousands of people into our space, okay, you're invading our personal space, so Jesus, wildly, I love that he just does it because he's God, he can do whatever he wants, he just gets on the boat, push me out, yes, sir, right, they, they push him out, and he just starts preaching. I guess he had better amplification from the middle of the water as everyone's around him. Everybody's looking over their heads trying to listen to what he has to say. I'm sure it was a magnificent sermon because he was the best preacher that ever lived, ever walked. And once he's done giving this sermonette, look what it says in verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who's Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word we'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, and the other boats came to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. <laughs> this story is wild. Okay, so Peter, James, and John, they've been working all night. That's why they would fish. The hot sun would just boil the top of the water, right? So the fish during the day would go way, 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 way down, and so they would always go out at night, and they would try to fish, okay? And, this, and apparently on this night, they caught nothing. Okay, they, get, they got no fish, right? So they're tired, they're, they're frustrated, they, they pull in. And Jesus, who, who doesn't specialize in fishing at all, I mean, he knows everything about, infinitely about fishing because he's omniscient, right? But he knows, and, and Peter, who specializes in fishing, he tells the experienced one, hey, throw your nets over and let's get some fish. And Peter's going, Jesus, like, we just fished all night. Like, and everyone knows you don't fish during the day. Okay, so you're crazy. We're tired. We haven't caught anything. What makes you think if we throw our nets in the water, we're going to get something? And then Peter, for whatever reason, says he'll listen. Maybe it was a thank you for healing his mother-in-law, right? A couple of days ago, we just read that last week. Healed Peter's mother-in-law. So they throw their nets down. And Peter witnesses one of the greatest expressions of divine power. I mean, it's the best payday of their life, right? Their nets are just full. Fish are just, now, they frantically go and ask for other boats to come, probably James and John's boat. Because here's what you do you go out with two boats. One boat would just kind of take the nets around the boat for you while you fished, okay? And then the other boat that you were in was just to keep all the fish. Well, they didn't have room for nets and fish, they just had room for fish. And both boats are sinking. I mean, this is just amazing what they're witnessing. Obviously, Peter's starting to realize this guy knows where the fish are, not just where the fish are, but he, he tells us what to do. He, they're just seeing omnipotence. They're seeing omniscience. He's seeing all the divine attributes of God in Jesus. And so they have the best payday of their life. They're shocked at what happened. They're frantically trying to get all of the fish in the boat. And I love the response from Peter here. Here's where it starts to escalate a little bit, because, because Peter realizes he's dealing with the God of the universe. Look at his response in verse eight. But when Simon Peter saw it, saw the fish, saw the best payday of his life, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, "Depart from me, for I am sinful man, O Lord." And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So Peter knows he's dealing with not just any man in his boat. He knows he's dealing with the God of the universe as he's witnessing the divine qualities of Jesus in his boat. And listen, every first century Jewish person especially, what's one of the main things they knew about God? That he's utterly holy. Like, they all knew that. I mean, the whole whole Old Testament just explicitly states, right, with gravity that God is, I mean, passionately holy. Like, no uncleanliness can be anywhere near him. I mean, that's why just read about the sacrificial system, how nasty and dirty it was and gruesome and bloody. Jesus is, God is trying to show you how heinous sin is in light of how holy he is. So listen, Peter in this moment is realizing, I'm with something holy, set apart. So look at what he says. He says here, man, hold on a second, I'm I'm sinful. I mean, this is in an instant, Peter sees in light of the holiness of God made flesh that he is utterly wicked, intrinsically sinful, and he's going, man, hold on, hold on, you're, you're so holy, you're, we're set apart, we're not even the same category, you should depart from me. Like, we shouldn't even be in the same boat right now. Like, like, how am I even standing? And he falls to his knees and calls him Lord, which is the Hebrew word for God, same word for God all throughout the Old Testament. He's ascribing to who God is, maker of all things. He knows who he's with. He knows the presence in which he stands, and he falls on his face and says, Depart from me. I'm, I'm so sinful. I'm so dirty. How could, I, how could I be here? You're so set apart. And, and, and I, I love this here because this is the first time we see anyone realize their sinfulness and it be exposed in the gospel of Luke. And you know what's also awesome is it's the first time. See, he was Simon before that and now he's Simon Peter in verse 8. Because a lot of commentators will say it because there's true repentance here for the first time. So there's, there's transformation happening, so you're getting his full name. Which is why Luke gives you his full name. A- amazing here, and this is the moment of transformation for Peter. The first time in the Gospel of Luke, someone is brought into recognition of their sinfulness, and Peter is crushed by it. <laughs> because he knows he's in the presence of something holy. Holy. I mean, you can't respond any other way. And he's stunned, and he's made aware of his sin, and he knows if I can see God, and I know God sees me, I'm seeing holiness right now, and I know he's seeing sin. And he responds like any of us would. And here's where we want to land for a while, because this is going to kind of be the point of, of this whole text, verse 10. Here's what's important to get in this, in this whole text. Jesus is basically summing up the call of discipleship. You'll see later it rolled out. After repentance, here's what happens. After your sin is exposed, after you lay your eyes on the holiness of God, and you see your desperate need for a finished work of Christ and his cross and all that he does and giving his righteousness and taking your sin, here's what happens. You're gonna, your, your life has a change of course and there's a cost. Those two things aren't like suggestions or maybe... Um, optional he's showing here's what happens verse 10 and jesus said to simon i love this first don't be don't be afraid a lot of people believe that is almost in the plea of the cross there's no need to be afraid of you seeing my holiness and your sin because there's i'm making a way for reconciliation with god from now on you will be catching men and when they had brought their boats to land they left everything and followed him okay Now, Jesus' ministry is getting really personal. (laughs) Before it was just preaching, teaching, healing, doing some nice things. People loved him, they loved what he was about. And and Jesus here looks at Peter, sees his repentance, and goes, Okay, you've you've been catching fish. How about people? What about people made in my image? What about people who are lost and dying, going to hell? And here's what's awesome, that word catching men" is really catching life. So here's what Luke is getting at. These these men who gave themselves to catching fish and killing them will be catching men to give them the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus. They spent their lives catching things to kill, and they'll be catching men to make them live. This amazing, amazing imagery, where this is the mission that they are sent on. And Jesus is basically saying, what about the poor, the blind, the oppressed, the prisoner from my sermon in the synagogue? What about them? What about going after them? I know you spend all your days doing this. What about the people who are perishing and needing of rescuing and redemption? And Jesus says to Peter here, it's not about how many boats you get in. It's not about how many nets you clean. It's not about how much money you rake in. It's about you getting sold onto Jesus-centered mission in life. What, what, what? What do the planets of your solar system orbit around? You or Jesus, right? I mean, what's priority for you now? I mean, if you've repented of your sins, seen his holiness, and loved his grace, I mean, what's the direction of your life? So we're seeing clearly there's, there's a change of course. All of a sudden, you begin to see people differently. You, you start realizing these people have souls. Okay, so your neighbor Joe... Like, like he is naked, poor, oppressed, he needs freedom, he needs liberation, he needs his eyes to be open to the gospel of grace that you've been shown, right? The people you work around, the environment you're in, wherever God's placed you, is not just random and aimless for you to just, them to serve you and treat them like busboys and whatever you want, or, or as slaves, it's man, no, we want to go after this, we want to catch men and women with the gospel of Jesus Christ, so we're all of a sudden sent on Jesus' mission with him. And listen, we're just seed throwers. We don't make any heart change. We don't make anything supernatural happen. First Corinthians will go on to tell us we're just seed throwers, waterers, and God will make grow what he makes grow. But are you just throwing seed? Are you a seed thrower, seed scatterer? I mean, how do you view life? Like, how do you, how do you see human beings? Like, are human beings, so, do they solely exist to serve you? Like when you go into the restaurant i mean is everybody a waiter to you basically Mm, you got that order wrong Mm, can you fix this hey they have a soul (laughs) like 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 they have things that they weep over they have anxieties they have things that oppress them and we know that the gospel liberates and frees so looking at peter going do you care about souls How about catching men? You've repented. You've seen what this has done to you. Are you going to give yourself to the life-saving message of Jesus and his mission? And Jesus is showing when you encounter him, your life changes course. Your time, your talents, and your treasure that were once used for you, your time, your talents, and your treasure are now used for him. So you're now God-centered and others-oriented and not self-centered. That's fundamentally what the gospel of Jesus Christ does in your heart. And, and, and here's why I, I think this is um, really important. Is because when you trust in Christ, when you become a Christian, you're not just a tweaked version of your old self. Like the scriptures will say you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Okay, that, That's what you'll say. And here's what I see a lot of is... People think in the church, a lot of people in the church, when I trust Christ or believe in Christ, then I retire. Right? Okay, so Jesus forgave me of my sin. Uh, I got forgiveness. I got righteousness. I'm in a church now. I got a few more friends. I'm done. No, you realize that's the beginning like you are right now, if you have become a Christian, if you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ, he's now your master, he's where your allegiance is. And so now he's calling the shots and you are now unleashed for kingdom service. I mean, he he tells you how to orient your budget. He tells you how to make relationships. He tells you about how to interact in your neighborhood. He tells you how to be wise in your family life. I mean, all of that is now oriented around Jesus and what he demands, what he wants because he's a good, gracious master and he doesn't want to take anything from you. He wants you to walk in fullness of life, not loss of life. That's one of the greatest lives, right, that we think every command is God to take. It's God giving generously. Because he made the universe to work in a certain way. So when we say, hey, you don't really know what's right. I know what's right. You belittle his name. You commit treason against the God of the universe. Say, I'm just going to walk how I want to walk. Just ignore that, ignore that, ignore that, ignore that. You'll find yourself where some of you have found yourself in just a deep spiral of despair. Anxiety grows, doesn't dissipate. Depression grows, doesn't dissipate. Frustration grows, it doesn't dissipate. Because the way that you're functionally living... It's not the way God designed, especially for those who are made new in Jesus. And so here we're seeing in this beautiful picture right here, a man who sees the glory of Christ, is transformed, his life is altered, it changes course, and there's a cost. And he, here, before we get to the cost, something I love about this scene right here is... Young Jewish boys from early on were separated out to learn the Torah. And what they would do is they would, they would teach them, teach them, teach them. Then they'd look for the the young boys that were kind of more studious, kind of got it. And they would keep them, and the rest of them would just go back and, and do their father's trade. Okay? Then they'd rinse and repeat, do it again. So then you got the, the smaller group of, of boys, and they would study, 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 and then uh, whittle them out. Here's the AP, here's the, you know, GT, here's the, you know, those who need better help, so move them. Let's keep going. Why? Because a rabbi by nature wanted his best and brightest to teach everyone else, to be an effective teacher. Okay, so Jesus is, is picking, okay, not just a leader. But a leader of the disciples, a leader of the church, someone who will preach the best sermon at Pentecost and see three thousand saved, who will be a cornerstone to the to the made new church that are the people of God. I don't know that I'm picking Peter. Like 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 James, John, and Peter are not in that crowd of like smart AP government. Like, do you do you, re, do you realize that? Like, they are just—I mean, normal, average fishermen. And Jesus goes, "No, it's because I'm a big deal. I work through you. Not about your talents or your time. It's about how I'm used despite you." And he calls them. How encouraging is it that really all of us are ministers of the gospel? That it doesn't matter your, how talented you are, or your, your, how much you comprehend in the Bible, or how much you really learn. Or we are all there's no JV varsity. Gospel levels the playing field. You trust Christ. He unleashes us out. We're all called his ambassadors, his witness, his sons, his daughters, right, for the name and renown of Jesus. Okay, so, so we, we got to get that straight. It's just, it's, it's, it's so, it was so encouraging to me, because I've got places I stumble and fall shortcomings, because if you look at Peter's life, I mean, he's the guy always screwing up, Right? This guy always confessing, sorry, Jesus, it's okay, I love you. Sorry, Jesus, again, denies him, and God continues in his grace and mercy to use Peter, despite Peter. So understand, this is flipping the entire Jewish system on its head as to how you even look for other rabbis or other teachers or other workers because Jesus' economy is not based upon religious affluence or how much you know. It's based upon a heart that's been changed by him that he can then use as an empty vessel for him and his glory. And it's amazing that we see Jesus' person and work leveling the playing field. And so he picks Peter. That's why I love in Second Peter, I don't know if you've seen it, I've always loved that passage where second, right in the beginning of Second Peter it says, Peter has a faith of equal standing with ours. You can go to James five seventeen. Elijah was a man just like us. Okay, hold on a second. Peter. Walked on water, Peter. Peter who penned parts of the, t- parts of the New Testament, Peter. Peter who walked with Jesus, Peter. Wait, his faith is of equal standing as yours and mine if you're in Christ. No way. I'd beg 99% of us don't believe that. Because we've fallen into some shipwrecked view of the gospel that says your position is solely based upon you, your affluence, what you do, your talents, how much righteousness you earn. Because 2 Peter will go on to say, you want to know why there's a faith of equal standing? By the righteousness given of our Savior Jesus Christ. Right. So, so the righteousness that, that God gives in Christ to us is the same. Like, it wasn't Peter had his righteousness plus Jesus's, so now he's kind of up here and we're down here. No, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is given to us when we lean into him, trust him, submit to him, follow him, and now it's of equal standing. Elijah, I mean, brought fire down from heaven. Man, that guy's just like me. He didn't have some superpower. Like, he didn't read more comic books than me. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's, just a, he's just a normal guy. Guys, how encouraging is that? I found this so encouraging to see, that just the kindness of God. And Peter's like, what he's going to do to use Peter just because he humbled himself and said, I'm a sinner. I see how holy you are. I need righteousness that's not my own. Depart from me, God. We're not even in the same category. And he shows him mercy. And then he calls him to follow him. And Peter follows him. And I love this because we see the cost. And they brought their boats in and left everything and follow them. There's repentance in the heart, they see His holiness, they see their sin. Their whole life changes course, we're going to be catching men now. And then there's a cost, they left everything. They walk away, and they don't just walk away from fish. They walk away from the best payday of the year. Here's what I would expect from Peter and these guys. Yeah, great. Jesus, give me three months. Give me three months. I gotta sell my nets. I gotta sell this fish. Sell this fish. I gotta sell the boats. Give them to somebody. Let me get secure. Let me get all my affairs in order. Okay, then I'll follow you. Yeah, yeah. Then I'll submit to you. Yeah, then I'll obey you. Then, then. Sounds familiar, huh? Peter didn't do that. Peter sees what he's caught up in, and his life. Immediately, changes course, doesn't mind the cost because the cost is not really any cost when you realize what you're gaining, right? And Peter and James and John just say, "I'm following Jesus." Now, am I saying all oh, you should quit your job? Yes. No. no. I'm not. I'm not saying that. Half of you guys were like, "Good, I just got the word from my pastor." No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that. Some of you may be. but But let me let me get at this because the issue is not you, you, you quitting your vocation. All work is worship. All work is sacred in Christ. So whether you're a street sweeper, janitor, pastor, minister, nurse, electrician, it's sacred work in Christ. It's all done for the glory of God, empowered by the grace of God. But the issue here is, is change of course and cost. So I don't know how that rolls out into your life, but I know it rolls out some way. And I can't answer that for you, but the, the cost is nothing if you know what you're gaining. So how do you view your time, your talents, and your treasure? Only you can answer that. What are the conversations you're having about that, if any, right now? Has there been any change of course in your life as a family, as a, as a married couple, does your bank account look the same as it did a year ago? In the ways that you organize and, and give generously to the work of God? Is the way that you see people and, and operate friendships different now than it was a year ago? Is the way that you see the talents God has given you different today than it was a year ago? To be used for his glory and not selfishly for your own. To build much and make much of you to make much of him? And, and this is why, guys, there there is... What we're seeing in this text is there's this common prevalent theme in evangelical Christianity where there's a but first when following Jesus. And that's never in the scriptures. Like you'll never read the scriptures and see but first when Jesus says follow me. There's no such thing as that in the scriptures. And so often, and I don't know if this is you in this room, I see it a lot in college And in young people, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll follow Jesus, I'll submit to him, I'll I'll embrace him as my treasure, but, but first let me just kind of enjoy these four years. Hold on, but first let me, you know, kind of date this girl, date this guy, you know, kind of get this fixed, experience over here, experience these, you know, this alcohol thing, this drug thing, this. Let me just experience all those things, and then, you know what, then I'll get serious later. Listen, can you just hear me plead with you, the Holy Spirit is not at your bidding, Like, like you got to know that. Like, this may be the only moment where the Holy Spirit is graciously wooing you to himself, showing you how good he is, and if you ignore him, he may never do it again. If you think that six years from now, he's just going to show up and go, hey, remember I said I'd let you kind of enjoy your thing. Now I'm going to woo you back to myself. Open your eyes. Don't play that game. Don't play that game. Like, when he says, follow me, you say, Yes because I see how good you are, how gracious you are. I see I see the treasure I'm gaining in you. It doesn't compare to these other things I want to tinker with. Right? I mean, I mean, th- we got to be so careful because Jesus is going to continuously go on and move on throughout the gospel saying, if you're going to follow me, follow me now, why cuz I'm that great. You're getting the better end of the deal. You're getting me. And you're going to see this over and over and over and over. This idea will play out constantly in the Gospels. The cost of gaining Christ and his kingdom is no real cost. you got Matthew 13. I love that passage where Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like this treasure in a field. And this guy goes out, he finds the treasure, and he sees how amazing it is, so he hides it. He leaves, and in his joy, he sells everything he has just so he can have the field. And 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 God saying, Jesus is saying, Man, that, that's what it's like having Christ. Man, you see me as your treasure, this treasure in a field, and you see it, and in your joy, not not burned, not bummed out, not oh, this stinks. I have to give my life to him. No, it's in your joy. You just go, he sells everything, goes, Hey, you can have anything you want because I have the field. I have Christ. I'm a co-heir. I'm an adopted son. I'm an adopted daughter. I mean, I've got my riches in Christ paid for. Man, my stock market's eternal. What's yours like in New York? Right, I've got planets in mind. What do you have in yours? I mean, it's just, it's insanity. And he goes, man, when you get Christ, when you get Jesus, that's the goal. That's the treasure. When you have him, your worth is no longer placed on your job and what it functions like and what it is like or your, your marriage solely, what that's like and how that operates. Your joy and worth is wrapped up in you have Christ. You have Jesus. I'm okay. I can stand on solid ground. I'm going to work these things out. I'm going to ask for wisdom. But at the end of the day, I'm okay because I've got him. I've got, the, I've got the field. You've got that other passage, right, Zacchaeus, we're going to get to in Luke 19? What happens? He's this, you know, just, this tax collector that's just ripping people off. Jesus walks by him. Hey, get down. I'm going to preach the gospel to you. He's transformed by the gospel. What happens? Change of course right away. Man, I'm going to go pay back everybody. Man, I'm going to actually give them four times of what I stole from them. Everybody I ripped off. Because I have Christ now. There, there is someone who walked away sad. Right? I think it's in Matthew 19, the rich young ruler. He goes, hey, what do, what do I need to get eternal life? And Jesus says, okay, give away all your money. He doesn't say give away all your money in the salvific sense. He's not saying that's how you're saved. He's testing his treasure. What does the guy say? Don't you see how rich I am? Don't you see how much money I have? And he leaves sad. Why? He doesn't get it. He doesn't see the value in Christ. He doesn't see the goodness of Christ in the gospel, that he really meets his deepest need and his deepest longing. And so Christ is just continuing to show there's a change and there's a cost. And guys, this is not an issue of salvation here. Self-denial never saves someone from hell, okay? You giving up things never rescued you from judgment, This is an issue of Jesus testing your treasure. This is all post-repentance from Peter. And Jesus loves to do it. He loves to get in there and say, hey, where's your treasure, right? Because wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. So so where do you find greatest worth and significance? What people think of you? And what you do for a living? And how your marriage looks to the world? In the approval of people? I don't know. Where's your treasure? Because that's where you're going to worship. And if it's not in Christ, you're going to be a a train wreck. Is it in nothing ever happening to me, my life always being perfectly built? Or is it in that Christ has rescued me, redeemed me, I have him? Where do you land at the end of the day? That's what Jesus is doing here. Because, family, we can never make Christ look great if we're always second-guessing the value of following him. Right? I mean, if we're always going, I just don't know if he's... Better than, man, all this praise I'm getting from these. I don't know if he's really better than this fix I get or this addiction and this lust. I don't really. And here's what we're beginning to see from Jesus. The call to follow him, love him, trust him, submit to him. Christianity is not simply a believing in the intellect, but it's a following of the heart. It's head and heart. Some of you guys... It's just head for you. Jesus died, Jesus lived, Jesus rose, paid for my sin. I'll follow Jesus provided it doesn't cost me anything. I don't want to hurt, I don't want to suffer, I don't want to be rejected. I want all my relationships to stay the same. I want everyone to like me. Right? I don't know what that, what that is for you. But for some of you, maybe it's just your head, right? Jesus is God. Jesus loves me. You just pay for my sin. I have a church family. I'll be home checking my Facebook. Okay, check your Facebook, but get on Jesus-centered mission in life. Reorient your time and your priorities to what he wants. And so we look at Jesus and we prayerfully discern as we see how he lived and what he did, how does my life form accordingly? How does that happen? God, give me wisdom for that. Let's have honest conversations. Let's not judge others or say, hey, hey, they're not doing it. Because that's one of the first things we'll do. Just get that out, okay, right now. It's you, okay, dealing with you. I'm dealing with me, my family, my, right, I mean, the natural heart is to go, oh, yeah, he's not, he's not, she's not. That's just self-righteousness. Get away from that, and what is God asking of you? What is God asking of your life? Let me just, let me just land the plane with this, because um, I, I think this all kind of wraps it up and ties it together. Um, being a Christian even that phrase, right, is not, it has never been that you just believe a fact. Like, it's never been that. It's never been, been there's no cost. It's never been there's no change of course. It's never been that. It's never been I believe intellectually in my head that Jesus was the son of God. The demons believe that. Okay, well, they're still damned. Okay, I believe in my head that he's saved from sin. Demons believe that. They're still damned. Okay, I believe that he rose again. Demons still believe that. They're still damned. Okay, we can go down the list. Okay, it's, (laughs) I am a wicked, idolatrous sinner who has committed treason, belittled his name, chosen to worship other things outside of him. I'm grafted into the original sin of man post the fall in Genesis 3. I can't earn righteousness. There's nothing I can do to make it up. I can't clean myself. I keep scrubbing myself and the dirt stays there. Even the clean rags I put on myself, get dirty, and I get new clean ones, and they're still dirty. And Jesus comes and takes all that for you, takes all that sin, the weight of the wrath of God towards you rightly for your sin, and carries it, and bears it on the cross for you, kills it in the grave, rises again, gifts you righteousness, saying walk as my witness, walk as my ambassador, walk in newness of life. And it frees you to operate in a way where you're not bound anymore to the identities and worse of cultural conformity. You're free. You're actually, the Christians are the freest people who live. <laughs> I've said this repeatedly. Not the people who are enslaved by systems and addictions and other things. And so my, my fear is just that many have believed an in incomplete, half-hearted gospel. That's my fear. Accept Jesus, go to heaven when you die that's half-hearted, incomplete. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, you come and die to yourself. We're gonna see it later in Luke. You pick up your cross, you follow me. You die to your wants, you live to mine. A good, loving, hard word from Jesus. So, so here's what I see, see a lot, is the now, the church age, we're all on vacation, right? Yo, Jesus died, Jesus rescued me, so I'm just gonna be on vacation. And so you lack fullness of life. So here's what you do. I just need another hobby. I just need another gadget. So you just keep looking for that other thing. And I'm going, okay, yeah, get your hobby, get your gadget. But man, first things first. The advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the advancement of the church of Jesus Christ is priceless. It's so priceless that Jesus bought it with his own blood. He ransomed it. So, because if you're going to give yourself to anything, you give yourself to this. So, your whole life revolves around that first. Then you got your hobbies, then you got your gadgets, then you got everything else. But in what ways are we we doing that? Let's first and foremost submit to Him. You know, um, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we don't want your money at all. I don't want you to do anything, actually. I just want you to repent of your sin and turn to Christ. I want you to know He's a good, gracious God just like all of us in this room you've committed treason you've you've rebelled against him you've missed the mark you daily desire to live to yourself and not to him and his glory we are all like peter who are in the boat with jesus would you turn to christ i mean do you see that he's holy that he's infinite that he's good in all that he does that his perfections are endless that you are spiritually poor blind held captive that you need liberation you need to be given sight. Will you ask him for that this morning? Ask him for it. Say, God, open my eyes and help me to see you. Help me to see how good you are and how gracious you are. Help me to learn what it means to orient my life this way for you being the goal. And listen, if, you, if you're a believer in here, especially if you're in the faith family of, of church at Bergen, let me just, can I encourage you in this way? Um, I always say, what's your grace-based plan? I always say that. Because otherwise we just, hear sermons, leave. Hear sermons, leave. Hear sermons, leave. Hear sermons, leave. Here, sermons, leave. What's your grace-based plan? I mean, so if you're married, what are you guys going to talk about? How are your times, talents, and treasures going to be oriented in such a way that you live for the fame and renown of Jesus and not you? How are you going to operate in the spheres of influence God's placed you in work or other arenas? If you're single, get around godly counsel, good brothers and sisters. If you're married, get around other godly married couples that you trust and you look up to. Say, okay, is my life changed course at all? Is it continuing to change course? Is it continuing to dive deeper into the riches that are his gospel, the advancement of that gospel, and the advancement of his church? Let's ask God for help. That we be a vibrant, glorious display of who he is and all that his character and nature entails. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're a God who is worthy of sacrifice. God, that even if it means us feeling some rejection, that that's how it should be, that we should not look just like this world. God, thank you that us giving up anything for you is not really a cost at all. God, I'm the first to admit my heart that lacks a more vibrant love and wanting of you as my treasure. God, help us to see Christ in his glory, in his fullness, in his richness. God, remind us of what's true that if we're in Christ, all that is his we are wrapped up in. God, lay us on that unshakable ground. God, forgive us when we subconsciously or consciously revert to other things, just trinkets and toys compared to you for security, for wellness, for worth, for safety, for security. God, may we be people like Peter, James, and John. Depart from me, God, I'm sinful. I don't deserve grace. And then as you show grace, God, that we would change course and count the cost gladly. Father, help us to do this. This is not natural. God, this takes intentionality. This takes us gazing at you and all that you've done for us. May we be built up into a church that looks like this for the glory of your name in Jesus. Amen. Amen.